Open your Bibles to Judges chapter 17. We are finishing up a message series entitled The Wild West of the Bible. We've been going through the book of Judges together. Today we will finish that uh, with a lesson from Judges chapter 17. Before we get there though, uh, being Heritage Sunday and uh, our church's anniversary, it seems appropriate to me that you should take a pop quiz on your church's history. So here we go. Everybody ready? You thought school was out for summer, right? Uh, But we're actually going to do a test. Can you do it? It's all true or false. Ten questions. All right? You with me? All right, let's go. Question number one. True or false? Woodburn Baptist Church was established on this day in 1867. True or false? Okay. False. Okay. What was the date? Yeah, it's actually this weekend, but the actual date is uh, May 26th. That would be what, Thursday. So this is the weekend. We always have celebrated the anniversary on this weekend, but technically our church was established on May 26, 1867. So that question was slightly false. Here we go. True or false? When the church first started, Woodburn was a thriving center of business, education, and culture, much like it is today. Uh, True or false? Yeah, very true, very true. How do you understand this? Back in the day, Woodburn was like New York City, you all. I mean, honestly... In, in 1867, this is true, in 1867, when our church was established, there was a college, there were two hotels, there were multiple businesses, there were factories. There were, in 1867, in Woodburn, Kentucky, two saloons, two saloons. A lot of people don't know, but Nancy McRae worked at one of those saloons <laughs> in 1867, so, so there you go. She can tell you there were two saloons. Uh, back in those days, before there, was a, you know, before there were cars, everything was up and down the railroad track, and so towns like Woodburn were very, very important whistle stops. The trains would stop, people would travel by rail, and the city was very important. So that question is true. Number three, Dr. Edward Dickin holds the record as pastor with the longest tenure, having ministered at the church for 23 years from 1889 to 1912. True or false? Edward Dickin, pastor the longest. That is false. Dr. Dickon went down, you all. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this August, I will have been here 26 years. 26 years. Ah, no, 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 no. But prior to my tenure, it was Dr. Edward Dickon, who was pastor at the turn of the last century. He was pastor from 1800s to 1900s. I was blessed to be pastor from the 1900s to the 2000s. So really amazing. Dr. Dickon was pastor over one of the most exciting and thriving, uh, one of the uh, ministered under one of the longest periods of sustained growth for the church. And uh, I'm proud of that. Dr. Dickon is an amazing man in our history. Here we go. True or false? The pastor in 1913 shared his name with a U.S. president. True or false? Yeah, it's actually true. The pastor in 1913, the pastor of our church, his name was Pastor Donald Trump. I'm kidding. Uh, in that, yeah, y'all were like, yeah. make Woodburn great again. The pastor in 1913, his name was George Bush. Pastor, it wasn't the president, y'all, but he had the name George Bush. 1913, our pastor was George Bush. I just think that's great. True or false? The church got electric lights in 1922. Y'all don't have any idea. He's like, ah, true. Yeah. That's actually true. The church got electric lights in 1922. From what I've been told, the church got electric lights at the same time it got Sunday school rooms. 
The church did not build a single Sunday school room until there were a hundred people in Sunday school. They didn't want to waste it, you know. So after they had a hundred people in Sunday school, then they added Sunday school rooms. That's when that front part of the old building with the columns and the upstairs, that got added in 1922 with electricity. That's what I've been told. So that question is actually true. I love the fact that they did Sunday school, y'all, with a hundred people before they would build rooms. Uh, Just amazing, amazing church. True or false, before the 1930s, men and women did not sit together at church. Yeah, that's true here. That's probably true in most places. Now, the old building sat across the street. You can see the old parking lot and the grass where the church sat. It was oriented this way. The sanctuary went this way, uh, if I'm sitting at the pulpit. I believe, the, some of the folks may tell me, I, I believe that the men sat on the railroad, or they called it the Woodburn side. So the men sat on the, on the Woodburn side and the women sat on the, uh, on the opposite side. Men and women would sit on opposite sides. So, on which side did the children sit? Yep, yep, children sat with the women. Our men are no fools, y'all. All the, all the kids go with the women, and then the men are just chilling over here on the Woodburn side. Uh, you you got to love our church. True or false? This is a hard one. The church bought its first vacuum cleaner before it had indoor restrooms, weekly printed bulletins, or weekly nursing home ministry. This is kind of one of those which came first kind of questions. So which do you think came first, the vacuum cleaner Indoor restrooms, weekly printed bulletins, or weekly nursing home ministry? What do you think? Think you got bathrooms? Yeah, y'all. Actually, bathrooms came last. We didn't get bathrooms until 1966, and Jimmy White was against them then. (laughs) Jimmy White still thinks that all of you people should go at home. Am I right, Jimmy? (laughs) yeah, (laughs) Yeah, in the old days, that is true. In the old days... They built the bathrooms in 1966 out of bathrooms, but they just put it like, you know, right on the other side of that wall. And so you could hear it flush. I still remember, and I haven't been around that long, but I remember hearing kids like in the bathroom going, Mama, I'm through. (laughs) Mama. It just, it added so much to worship to, you know, to hear the flush. Yeah. So we got bathrooms in 1966. That's the last thing. So I'll, I'll do them this way. Uh, the vacuum cleaner was bought in 1960. Bulletins came first. Bulletins came in 1959, the first printed bulletins. And who do you think typed those? Charlene Morris, I'm pretty sure, right? I think the answer to all these questions is Charlene Morris. Y'all, it's just Charlene. Charlene typed the first bulletins. Weekly nursing home ministry began in 1961, and we're still doing it. I love that. Weekly nursing home ministry has been going on at our church since 1961. Isn't all of that just so fantastic? I, I, I love it so much. True or false, for what I've been told, the church door key was left out on the front porch until 1976. True or false? True. Yeah, true. Yeah, that's absolutely true. You know, I, uh, we, you know security's always been one of our priorities, and so the, the key was on the front porch. I remember I was about to do a wedding, and this wasn't that long ago, but it was in the old building, um, I was married to a couple that did not come to our church. They, neither one of them came to our church. They were just getting married at our church. But they needed to decorate. And I said, hey, I, I'll meet you at the church and open the door. He said, oh, I've got a key. Um, Dude had a key. Yeah. So at some point, everybody in the country had a key to, to our church. So uh, anyway, up until 76, you could find it on the porch. 
Uh, True or false? Here we go. In a 1982 men's cake baking contest, W.B. Adams sponge cake won the prize for most original. True or false? That's very true. Very true. Would you like the recipe? It's very simple. W.B., this is all true, correct? This is true. W.B., he brought the church together with his sponge cake. What was the recipe, W.B.? You start with? He started with a a tractor seat, which was the sponge. Yeah? And then you frosted it beautifully. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. 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 Y'all impressed with that? I love that more than anything. The more we talk, the more I love our church. That's so fantastic. WB put frosting on a tractor seat, put it on a plate with six strawberries he got from Jerry's restaurant, put it on the table with all the other cakes, and just stood back and watched the women try to cut it. Yeah. WB won most original that day, so there you go. Actually, I believe, anybody remember who won that cake baking contest? Pretty sure it was J.G. Wilson. Mr. Wilson won that, and I bet he had help. I'm just guessing, but I'm betting he had help. Uh, I love that. Last question. True or false? The congregation crossed over from the old building to the building you're sitting in on April 16th, 2000. True. Yeah. We called it Crossover Sunday. We started our service that day in the old building, which sat right there. We had half the service over there. We uh, said a prayer Walked out of that building, walked across the street, gathered here, and we've been here ever since. So, uh, so th- there you go. I just love it. I-, I, love, I love the celebration. I love being a part of a story that's bigger than me and bigger than all of us. I, I love being a part of a church with that kind of history. I love being a part of anything that's 155 years old. Y'all, we're 155 years old. Most of you don't look a day over 100, but 155 years old. What a blessing that is. So what a day to celebrate. But can I just remind you that um, we would not be in line if we made today a day to celebrate ourselves. It is not ourselves that we celebrate because none of this is about us. It's never been about us. It's always been about the Lord. Always. But honestly, one of the easiest things to do in the world is to take something that's not about us and make it about ourselves. We do that all the time. And if we do, we're not the first. And that's why I take you to Judges chapter 17 this morning. Judges chapter 17 is actually intentionally a horrible story. There's no part of this story that that shouldn't just make your eyes hurt when you read it. it. It's all It's all wicked. It's all wrong. There's nothing right about it, but it seems like such a good idea to Micah's mama to uh, have their own little church. Let's start in Judges chapter 17 and read this story. Judges 17. 
There was a man named Micah who lived in the hill country of Ephraim. One day he said to his mother, I heard you place a curse on the person who stole 1,100 pieces of silver from you. Well, I have the money because I was the one who took it. Well, the Lord bless you for admitting it, his mother replied. He returned the money to her and she said, I now dedicate these silver coins to the Lord. In honor of my son, I will have an image carved and an idol cast. So when he returned the money to his mother, she took 200 silver coins and gave them to a silversmith who made them into an image and an idol, and these were placed in Micah's house. Micah set up a shrine for the idol, and he made a sacred ephod and some household idols, and then he installed one of his sons as his personal priest. Verse 6, in those days Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. See, right there, the author of the book of Judges has to stop just to roll his eyes and say, y'all, ain't none of this right. None of this is correct. This is just how people were. They were crazy. Everybody did what seemed right to them. None of this is right, all right? Verse 7, one day a young Levite who had been living in Bethlehem in Judah arrived in that area. He had left Bethlehem in search of another place to live, and as he traveled, he came to the hill country of Ephraim. He happened to stop at Micah's house as he was traveling through. Where are you from, Micah asked him. He replied, I'm a Levite from Bethlehem in Judah, and I'm looking for a place to live. Stay here with me, Micah said, and you can be a father and priest to me. I'll give you 10 pieces of silver a year, plus a change of clothes and your food. And the Levite agreed to this, and the young man became like one of Micah's sons. So Micah installed, the Hebrew word there means ordained. So Micah ordained the Levite as his personal priest, and he lived in Micah's house. I know the Lord will bless me now, Micah said, because I have a Levite serving as my own priest. Okay, y'all know that's all messed up. That's all messed up. But it makes so much sense when you just, you know, think through it. I mean, Micah's mama is kind of inspired to start her own church. Now, we've been starting churches here for years, you know, 20-something churches now all kind of around the world. We're proud of that. God's been good. I mean, we're kind of a church-starting church, but this isn't the kind of church she started. No, her church planting strategy was, was much more focused. She gets the idea that day she had all that money stolen from her purse, 1,100 pieces of silver. It's actually an enormous sum of money. All of it stolen. But, you know, being a good godly woman of the Old Testament, she pronounces a curse on the thief. Now, there is no place in Scripture where you get that kind of curse. She must have gotten that from someplace else. But as it turns out, she's really not that much of a Scripture kind of lady. She just curses the thief. Meanwhile, her son Micah, who is the thief, hears the curse on the thief. And so he gets a little freaked out by the curse. Now, Micah is also a kind of guy who, as it turns out, isn't very moved by Scripture. For example, the commandment, thou shalt not steal, that doesn't seem to trouble him at all. But his mama's you know, creepy little curse really freaks him out. So he brings the money back to her. This is what the Scripture says. Now, when Micah brings the money back to his mama, what does mama... Now, let me change the question. If you had stolen money from your mama, what would your mama have done? 
Some of you wouldn't have lived to tell the story. Others of you would not have sat down for a week. Your mama would have wore you out. But understand, Micah's mama's not that kind of mama. She's the other kind of mama. When Micah turns out to be a thief, what does she do? She rewards him for his honesty. She's that mama. No matter what her son does, you know, it's not bad, or he didn't do it, or if it turns out he's a thief, she's still going to, you know, make a trophy for him just to celebrate his honesty. He's so honest in bringing back all the money he stole. You see, this is all messed up. We're just breaking commandments, you know, right and left. So she decides out of, you know, to please the Lord and to honor her son, she's going to take all of that money, and that's what she says, I'm going to dedicate all this money to the Lord. All right. So what do you think she's going to do next? You probably aren't thinking she's going to make an idol because nobody else would think of that. That's kind of also against the Ten Commandments. But she's really not a Ten Commandment kind of girl. She makes an idol. And it's not altogether clear, but it's very possible that she just turned around and made a little statue of her son. It really could be an idol of her son. It could be Micah, a little, you know, silver bust. So she takes this statue of Micah and brings it into the house, and that's how it all gets rolling. You understand? Because now they got this idol, and Micah's starting to think, hey, we can make this more like one of those downtown churches. So Micah decides to get his mama to make a, a sacred ephod. You know what that is? That's like one of those fancy Presbyterian minister's robes. So they make like a minister's robe, and then Micah just starts getting other idols. He has a whole collection of idols before you go. Little shrine set up in the house. They got a minister's robe. Now they just need a minister. Where are we going to find a minister? Well, at first they didn't have a lot of options, and so they just got Junior, the grandson that lived in the basement and ate beans out of the can. They brought him up and made him minister. Y'all, I'm not making, I made the beans in the can up, but the rest of it is here. It's just Micah's son. They just pull a family member up. They put the Presbyterian robe on him, and now he's the pastor. Does this sound like a good idea? Because I know most of you think, well, that's awful. But then you're also thinking, but it sounds kind of good. The whole idea that you could just do church at home, not have to go anywhere, not have to deal with people. Some of you, I know you wouldn't say it out loud, but you're thinking, I think they're onto something, you know. And then just when you think it can't get any crazier, a Levite comes walking through town one day. Now, what is a Levite? Yeah, the Levites were the tribe of Israel. There are 12 tribes. The Levites were the tribe set aside to be temple ministers, to be servants in the temple, to be priests. And so you got a priest that just happens to be walking by. Now, the Old Testament is pretty specific about who the priests are and what the priests are supposed to do. And among other things, they can't just walk around. They can't just live where they want to live. There are very specific cities where the priests may live in Israel. But this ain't that kind of priest necessarily. He's walking around checking out real estate. He wants to relocate which tells you a lot about the kind of Levite he is. But at any rate, he winds up in Micah's driveway asking for directions. Micah says, where are you from? And the man mentions he's a Levite, and Micah has one of those ideas. This is a real Levite. Like, they've had Junior walking around in that Presbyterian robe, but everybody knew he wasn't a preacher. But this is the real deal. This is an actual Levite. And so Micah said, let's talk. They form a little pastor search committee and come up with a package. 
They're going to give him 10 pieces of silver a year, meals provided, housing provided, and also a wardrobe. He's going to have to wear that little Presbyterian you know, dress that mama made. But otherwise, this is a pretty sweet deal. Believe it or not, they agree to this. And at the end of the passage, they got their own church. It's amazing. And they have a real life priest, like an actual Levite. Micah ordained him himself. And at the end of the story, what does Micah say? The Lord is really going to bless me now. The Lord's really going to bless me now. I have got my own priest. Now, as I say, everything is wrong with that story. Everything is wrong with that story. But it is that part, you know, about, you know, what, what if you could just have your own church, you know, kind of kind of make it for yourselves, make it about yourselves. And let me just say a couple of things to that regard. First off, if you build a church with yourself at the center, ignoring the very word and will of God, don't expect God to bless it. That's not how church works, you know. Now, as I say, to make something about ourselves is one of the easiest things in the world for us to do. We're all sinners, and the way that sin manifests itself in, in everybody's life is that, is that we just are self-centered. We think about ourselves first. We love ourselves more. It's just the very nature of fallen human beings. And it's the nature of, of people. We, we like to make things about ourselves. But, but, but you cannot do that. You can't take something that's not about us and try to make it about us. If you build a church with yourself at the center, ignoring the word and will of God, don't expect him to bless it. But still, you know, it's that temptation where if you could just have a church and get rid of all the, you know, get rid of the people. I know, I know it sounds weird, but, but this is the, what Micah's mama sort of stumbles into, that if you could just have a church, with, not with no people, but just with the people that like are in your family, or maybe just the people that already are like you and think like you. I mean, you know, if you could just, if you could handpick the people, you know, which is kind of what Micah's mama ends up doing. It kind of becomes his church, but it's a very small little thing. It's, it's mostly just in their house. But, but, you know, have you ever thought about how that could be? Because honestly... Anybody who's ever had a problem with the church, it was the people. I've been a pastor now 26 years, and if anybody's complaining, they're usually complaining about somebody. You know, somebody said something, somebody forgot something, somebody did something they didn't like. It's always people problems. A lot of people drop out of church because of problems with church people. And it looks like, in some ways, Micah's mama solved that whole problem, have a church with, without any actual people. But understand, in church life, if you eliminate others, you eliminate Christ. If you eliminate others, if you think for a moment that you're going to walk with Jesus but not going to have to walk hand in hand with other people, then you don't understand the gospel of Jesus. Now, in our generation, we've really focused on a personal relationship with Jesus, and I stand by that. Jesus is a personal Savior. And you need to recognize your need for him. You need to understand that you are a sinner just like everybody else. You need to know personally that you could die and go to hell or you could have a home in heaven. It's based on a decision that you make about Jesus and the gospel. It's personal. 
You're not a believer because your grandma was a believer. She can pass down a lot of things to you, but she cannot let you borrow her salvation. That's personal. You have to call upon the name of the Lord Jesus for yourself. He has to come into your heart. Salvation is a personal experience. At the same time, what we haven't said very well in the last generation or so is that salvation is also a shared life in Christ. It's a personal relationship, but it brings you into a community of all the other people in Christ. If you're baptized into Christ, guess what? You are now joined with everybody else who's in Christ, and that's going to be a whole lot of people. And so I'm just telling you, in church life, in Christ, if you try to eliminate others, you eliminate Christ. You can't have it both ways. Church is about people. This little affair that Micah's mama and Micah, they come up with in their house, that sounds good to them, but they're foolish to think God's going to bless it. That is not the way you worship the Lord. you got to have people. you just got to. Back when I was a kid, y'all, we couldn't afford toys, so we play with our fingers. Y'all remember this? We would do the whole, here's the church, this is the church, and this is the steeple. Anybody else do this? Open the door, and what? Yeah, see all the people. That's a, I was, I, you do that high. See all the people. Yeah. Uh, when I was, I, was a, I was really a dumb little kid, I would always do it wrong. Like I'd start like this, like I was praying, and then make the steeple, then open the doors, and it's like. <laughs> I really couldn't figure out how you get the people in, in there. Um, here's the church. Here's the steeple. Open the door and see all the people. You know, of course, that the church is people. This building that we are now gathered in, we love the way we love the old building, but it's still just a building. It's just a building. Sometimes you drive past and go, there's my church, but mm, yeah, I say the same thing. We'll call this building the church, but you know, church is not the building. The church is people. Got to have people. So what people? Well, let's talk about the people. Let's start with the people who came before us. You have people that come before us. We have not made ourselves. We did not create ourselves. We did not establish this church. This church didn't start when you and I arrived. It was here. It was built by others. It was left to us as a legacy, as a heritage by others, others who came before us. And that's very important. You see, Micah's mama's on to something because if you just go out and start your own, you don't have to deal with people. You don't have to deal with people who tell you that's not the way it's done. And I'm telling you, there's certain things Micah's mama's doing here, and that's not the way it's done. You don't worship the Lord with idols. That's not the way you do that. And you don't get to just ordain your own priest. That's not how any of this works. But, you know, when you start a church yourself without people, you know, before you, then you don't have to do it the way anybody's done it. You get to do it your own way. And actually, that's what in chapter 17, verse 6 is condemned. Everybody's just doing their own thing. There is really something about stepping into something that you did not make and recognizing the value of receiving something valuable and then holding on to it so you can pass it on. We stand on the shoulders of people who come before us. Now, they were in a very different world. I promise you, the pastor in 1913, whose name was George Bush, George Bush could not have imagined anything like what we're doing here today. He couldn't imagine this crowd. He'd never seen a, an automobile, you know. He'd probably never seen a woman in pants, you know. 
He had never seen a QR code on the little slip in the pew so you can scan that with your smartphone, you know, and have more information about the church. If you got questions, check out the website. I mean, you know, there's so much that these people did not have. I mean, a whole lot of things. And part of me just wonders, how did they do it? I used to talk to you know, Dorothy, Dorothy Martin and Winnie Mae and uh, all those ladies, those Mitchell girls who would talk about the church, the generation, before, the generation before Charlene. And those girls would talk about like getting up early on Sunday morning, you know, and, and, and doing chores. Like they still had to milk, you know. And then uh, Dorothy and Winnie Mae used to say after that, they go in, they put on their dresses, and they go out to the field and catch their own horse. Like little girls catching their own horse. And then that's how they would come to church. And they did that gladly. And then actually those same little Mitchell girls who caught their own horses, they were in charge of lowering the, the lanterns that were the lights in the church. They would lower those lanterns and then they would light those. That was the light and the Mitchell girls would get there early to do that. I mean, do you understand all that they did not have? They rode horses to church, you all. Little girls, you know, rode in dresses. Some of you are still in the parking lot at, at like, you know, eleven ten, still putting on your lipstick in the car. Like, you didn't milk, you know, and you don't have to catch a horse or nothing. I, I, I would love to see you put lipstick on, on a horse. You know what I'm saying? There's so much that they did not have. They, they didn't have smartphones. They didn't have air conditioning. Seen all those little church fans from back in the day? Some of you would just catch on fire. Now you, you would not sit. I mean, I mean, we love our comfort now. We're so used to it. No air conditioning, no indoor bathrooms. So 1966, I mean, you know. I just wonder how they do it. You know, the, 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 you know, Brother North, the pastor who planted this church, I mean, you understand, he did it on the back of a horse without anything else. I mean, in 1800s, right after the Civil War, I mean, how did they do it? There are so many things that we have that they did not have. I just don't even know how they did it. But then... When I start going through the list of things that we have that they don't have, there's a second question that comes to my mind, and this is a simple question of what did they have that we don't have? Because I'm telling you one thing, they, they built a community, they built a church, they left us a church that, that, that was alive and unified, focused on Christ, focused on missions, moving forward. I mean, all of this, none of this, anything we enjoy is impossible without what they've done. And I'm telling you, I, I think about what they didn't have, but then I just wonder what it is they had. And, and I think the answer's, among other things, commitment. I mean, commitment. Catch a horse and ride it to church. Charlene says that Sunday was the greatest day of the week. It was a busy day. They come in the morning, come back at night. They loved it. It's a good commitment. You understand that during the Great Depression, the people of Woodburn Baptist Church were hurting like everybody else. Times were hard. Money was scarce. But the people of Woodburn Baptist Church in the Great Depression got together in a meeting and voted to double their missions giving. They doubled missions giving. Why? Because they said times are hard and money's scarce and the missionaries are going to be suffering. They increased mission giving. They dug deeper when they didn't have anything to give. So that, it's just a level of commitment that I'm not sure their children and grandchildren have inherited. I don't know. 
I, I don't know if we're that committed. I mean, they come back to church twice, you know, on horse, and you can't get here more than once a month in a really nice car. There's something different, y'all. Something's been lost. I, I think about the church of the past, and, and, and it seems like to me they, they just lived by principles, the gospel principles. Sometimes the principles were, I, I, I don't know. I know that in the 1920s, Woodburn Baptist Church wrote this amazing document. It's like, the, it's like the Declaration of Independence. It's from the 1920s. Our church wrote this declaration condemning the playing of baseball on Sunday. It saw the world changing, saw the Sabbath being compromised, saw people playing sports on Sunday, and it bothered them. And so they, they wrote something. They tried to raise their voice. They were trying to stand on, on, on principles. There's a difference between principles and preferences. Listen to Charlene. I said, Charlene, what's your hope for the church for tomorrow? And Charlene just focuses on one thing like a laser. What's she say? I just want the church to be, I want the church to make a whole lot about Jesus in, in the church and in the community and in, and in the state and in the nation and in the world. Isn't that what we've always been doing? I mean, you know, focus like a laser on that. It's, it's just gospel principle, biblical principles. It seems to me, and I'm just being honest, these days in the contemporary church, we deal with people who are really focused on preferences and a certain obligation that whatever church you attend, that church has got to meet your preferences. I don't think our grandparents rode horses into church and necessarily expected everything to revolve around them. I don't think they came expecting comfort. They came out of commitment, and they expected to sacrifice, and they did, and, and they have. And we stand upon their shoulders, and so much of what we have is simply because they sacrificed, they bled, and they died for the sake of the gospel. And, and, and now that's the heritage that we have received. We, we have people who've come before us. But not just that, y'all. we got people with us now. And let's just be honest here. Um, these are the ones we struggle with. I ain't got no problem with the people that came before us. I have seen them in photographs. They seem lovely. It's these people. You know, let's just be honest. It's these people. It's the people that, that might come to church and sit in your pew. It's the people that come in here wearing too much perfume or not quite enough perfume. I mean, it's just, it's just people. It's how it works. And the church is full of people. And people are just people. And the longer we're together, the more likely it is that we're going to hurt each other's feelings. The longer we're together, the more likely it is that we're going to let each other down. I'm going to disappoint you. I'm going to say the wrong thing. You're going to say something wrong. I mean, it's just people. And you can't get mad and leave, drop out every time somebody hurts your feelings. You'll never grow in Christ. You'll never know the life that Christ has for you. We have to stay together. It's hard. People are crazy, y'all. Yeah, and I, I don't really mean that. I love everybody. I do. People are crazy, though, y'all. Um, I stood in this pulpit a number of years ago. It's, it's the day I told the whole church that I had colon cancer. It was a really hard day for me. Um, it was really one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. And I was scared. And honestly, I didn't know if I would live or die. And I was really afraid I would die. And so I told the congregation, and y'all promised to pray for me. And at the end of that Sunday, God bless her, uh, there was a lady in attendance that day who ran. Like, I went straight to the lobby like I always do. She ran out there to get to me first. And she said, Pastor Tim, I just want to tell you, my niece had your same kind of cancer. I said, she did? 
oh, wow, you know, thanks for telling me that. How did she do? And she looked back at me and she said, oh, she's dead. You know, thank you for being my beacon of hope today. I mean, you know. She didn't mean, she didn't mean anything bad about that. And I wanted to cry when she said it. I wanted to laugh too because it's like, that's so funny. That's, you know, that's so dumb. Why did you say that? Why do you run up to somebody and go, oh, she's dead? <laughs> you know, you're cancer. You know, but. That's just how we are. You know, and, and how many times somebody, you know, hurts my feelings or says the wrong thing or criticizes, whatever, you, you know, that's the thing. We just have to remember that you're a person too. And, and you say things that you shouldn't say too. And people have to live on the other side of your mouth too. And you let people down and you disappoint people. You know, I mean, nearly every time somebody says, I was in the hospital, nobody came to see me. It's usually somebody who's never visited anybody in the hospital. I mean, you know, it's like you're a person too, and, and we're all in this together, and we need each other. This is what the church is. I know it's messy because it involves people, but this is Jesus' plan for our lives. This is how we become like Jesus. I mean, Jesus could have clapped his hands twice when we were being baptized, and we could have popped up completely holy and fully like him, but that wasn't his choice. He has chosen a much slower procedure that involves me and you together. I I am going to love like Jesus. You know what the trick is? You're the one that's going to teach me how to do that. You're going to learn to love like Jesus too, but you know what's funny? You're going to have to get by with all of us to learn that. You're going to become so very patient. You know how the Lord's going to teach you patience? It's kind of funny. He's going to line up people who are going to drive you crazy. And you're going to have to practice a lot of patience. It's the only way you learn patience. You really need to grow in love, joy, peace, the fruit of the Spirit, right? Patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness. You know how you learn all those things? You're going to have to have people. As a matter of fact, you know, the, the great commandment is to love your neighbor, right? So bottom line, you got to have a neighbor. you got to have people. you got to have somebody that you can every single day get up and put in front of yourself because you cannot live your whole life trying to make it about you. You can't always expect to be first, to be recognized, to be appreciated. That's not the way Christ teaches us to be. You need somebody else constantly that you can put in front of yourself, somebody else that that you can somehow serve because Jesus says anybody's going to be great, they're going to have to learn how to serve. You need somebody's feet to wash. You need somebody to to practice kindness and, and patience with. You need people. And guess what? We are those people. You're looking at us. We're the church, and this is the Holy Spirit's plan. This is how he transforms us. He puts me and you together for a lifetime. And we're going to practice forgiveness because we're going to hurt each other over and over and over. And we're going to learn to say, I'm sorry, and we're going to learn how to come back to each other. We're going to learn kindness the hard way. We're going to learn patience the slow way. We're going to learn generosity Give till it hurts. You understand this is how it works. We have people before us, people with us now, but then always, always, we got people that come after us. You know, we are those people that came after the ones who came before us, and they could not have imagined us. QR codes and smartphones and everything else we got going up in here. I mean, you know, they took a Sunday school trip to Tennessee in a cattle truck. 
Let that sink in. Can you imagine, like, our next senior adult trip, we're going to take y'all to the Loveless Cafe in Nashville, Tennessee, and y'all all get here, and we got a cattle truck waiting for you. Yeah. That was their, I, I would pay money to watch Winnie Mae Hopper drive that truck. I, I would pay, or to see Charlene hanging off the back, you know, all the way to Tennessee. Um, it was a different world. Nobody's taking cattle trucks on Sunday school trips anymore. It's a different world. We have a recurring conversation with my mother, and y'all all know my mother. I love my mother. She's crazy, but I love her. I don't, I don't mean that in a bad way. Your mother's crazy too, right? I mean, God bless all of her moms. Mom will, it's not funny, y'all, but it's just so crazy. Um, at the dinner table, over probably four times a year, my mother will get all cloudy all of a sudden, and she'll go, I just know when I'm gone, y'all are going to throw away all my important things. <laughs> Look, she says that, and, and she's done this a lot. And we'll say, Mama, we won't do that. We're not going to throw away any of your important things. Yes, you will. As soon as I'm gone, you're going to throw away all my important stuff. I said, well, Mom, let's go right now. Let's get a roll of masking tape and a marker. Let's go back in the house, and you just identify. You, you show us all the important and, and, and see, this is where she goes, that's what I'm talking about. Y'all don't know. Y'all don't even know. <laughs> like, well, but you got to tell us. And if you tell us, y'all understand why this conversation never goes anywhere? I'm serious. She's like, y'all don't even know. Well, tell us. Well, that's the problem. You don't know. But understand, my mom's not crazy. My mom just understands that there are a lot of things that mean a lot to her that are just never going to mean anything to us. And it's not because we don't love her. It's just because we didn't live her life. So my mom's got all this stuff sitting around, and don't tell her, y'all, but we will be having a big yard sale, you know. Um, I don't really mean that, but we are, you know. Y'all come by mom's important stuff. Um, because it's, to us, it's just sitting around, you know, and it's, it's boxes of, you know, papers and ribbons and pictures. And, and for my mom, every single piece of that reminds her of somebody or something important to her. It's in her heart. And, and what grieves her is the fact that, honestly, when she's gone, a lot of that goes with her. None of us, as much as we love her, are ever going to love everything she loved. You just can't. And, and, and as much as she might just wish that we would keep all of her important stuff around us forever, we won't. So this is Heritage Sunday, right? The Heritage Service. Heritage, that word, if you can picture it, 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 it comes from all those words that have to do with inheriting, like inheritance, inherit, heritage. We're talking about what is left to you, what you inherit from those who come before you. And I just want to remind you that you are leaving some sort of heritage for those who come after you. It will help if you yourself know what is important. Because it all can't be. It can't be. You have to be able to understand the things that really matter and the things that must not be lost. The world changes and, and culture changes and the church changes, but 
I think certain things like biblical principles and, and, and Christian commitment and Christian fellowship and the love of Jesus, these aren't things that change and these aren't things that we can afford to lose. We have to focus like a laser to pass these things on. This is the heritage. This is what we want our children to know, that they may never love everything that we've loved. They won't be taking Sunday school trips in, in cattle trucks, and one of these days they won't be scanning QR codes with smartphones. I don't, they'll be taking rocket ships to the moon in Bible school. I, I don't know. I just hope they love Jesus. And I hope that one day, you know, some you know, idiot new preacher can stand up in front of whatever spaceship thing he's got going and and maybe could point to something and tell a story about one of us. That would be a story of sacrifice and commitment and love for Jesus. Maybe one day the, you know, the, the, the preacher is going to show up at your house and interview you. And I hope at that time you've got a story to tell about serving Jesus and about the life of the church. And I hope when they ask you, about the church of the future, that you know what to say, that you know to say, I just hope they make a lot about Jesus in the church and in the state and in the nation and in the world. That's heritage. Time is short and life goes by just so fast. 155 years seems like a long, long time, but then it seems like no time at all. We, we only will be here this long. We have this much time to love Jesus and, and pass this love for Jesus on to others. So uh, in the same way that there are those who came before us, those who come after us, you know, we are the church right now. And everything we do and everything we say, it somehow reflects back to the heritage that we received. And it was worthy. It was valuable. They did a good job. But everything we do and say and all the choices we make and all the prayers we pray, one day others will have to stand upon what we build. I challenge you, church, in some other day to come, an anniversary of the future, I pray that the heritage we leave is as worthy as the one we received. Pray with me.